So hi and welcome to episode 54 of Cakewatch, the podcast that has not been expelled from the Labour Party and is not standing for Tory leader. Uh, I'm on my own this week, Chris Kendall. I'm an EU official. Uh, I do this podcast in a strictly personal capacity. Steve is taking a little break. Um, We're actually going to put the podcast on the less regular rhythm because I think we're both a little bit exhausted and... Bored of the whole Brexit thing, um, keen to get on with our knitting and writing music. But um, but this week, this week's an important week uh, because, of course, we had European elections last week, which didn't go entirely smoothly for many uh, for many voters in the UK. Um, and with them, with me, are two of them, <laughs> two of us. Um, we have a, a German heavy podcast this week, although at least two of us are also British citizens. <laughs> uh, with me are. Um, occasional co-host Tanya Bultmann and Axel Anthony from The Three Million. Tanya. Well, yeah, well, it's a German mafia, right? I was going to make that point. Now you've <laughs> sort of already snatched it. Uh, yeah, well, I'm still that professor as always on the podcast. Actually, I now even have a necklace for that, which I'm not wearing, but I got that as a present. So, you know, fighting for citizens' rights as always. All power to you. <laughs> and uh, fellow Kempfer. Axel. Hey, great to be on uh, Cake Watch. Um, yes, uh, Axel here from the Three Million, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to to say something meaningful, hopefully today. Yeah, what we thought we'd do is um, we'll obviously talk a little bit about the election, um, but we'll focus in particular on the whole denied my vote issue, which, of course. Um, caused great outrage, uh, rightly so. Um, but in the fast-moving situation, it seems already to have dropped off the news agenda. Uh, so we're going to put it back on the news agenda, <laughs> right? I hope so, yeah. That's the plan. Absolutely. We're not letting that one go. No, absolutely not. Now, listen, uh, not much follow-up this week. Um, the only thing I wanted to say was that... Um, the sound quality is likely to be really bad because I'm um, I'm away from from Belgium at the moment on my half term break back in the UK and I forgot to bring all my gear with me so I, I popped out to Tesco and picked up a ten pound microphone <laughs> and amazingly it works but I don't think it sounds great anyway apologies for that but I, I assure you the content will more than make up for the poor sound quality <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> We will try our best. So, with no further ado, um, look, should we talk quickly about the election uh, result then? What, what's, what's, what's your hot take, Tanya? What do you th- what, how did you feel on Monday morning when you saw what had happened? I think for both the UK and uh, Europe more widely, it's, it's perhaps less bad than I feared. You know, obviously, there are clearly some issues in countries where still way too many people are voting for right wing to far right parties uh, that I, you know, don't like. Certainly, the UK included. You know, how anybody could vote for the Brexit Party, a party that doesn't even have a manifesto. In fact, I was just going to 
say that <laughs> isn't even a party, you know, is, is beyond me. But that sort of is a, is a slightly separate matter. But uh, combined, of course, the vote is still a Remain vote in total. But what struck me in the UK in particular was the reporting, both of the UK uh, results, which didn't necessarily make the point that I've just made, that it is actually a statement for Remain, if anything, uh, more than it is a statement for the Brexit party. But even commentators here talking about other countries were saying things that really were quite uh, distorting the picture. For example, there were quite a few talking about the AFD <coughs> in Germany mm. and saying that they had done well, yeah, compared to the EU elections, but not compared to any other polling or any other results within federal state elections and so on. So actually, they haven't managed to do anything, really. They haven't grown. So I, I'm still really concerned about what this whole um, election has shown us about media and yeah, media I, distorting. Exactly. I think that's, that's exactly my problem with it. I mean, it, it, it's it, it, the, the, the coverage of how it went in Belgium was exactly the same. Um Right across Europe, we saw a real green wave, um, especially in Germany, but also in, in, in Wallonia and Brussels regions of Belgium. And uh, we also saw it in the UK. But the way that the story, the way that the, the media, they just seem to have this fixation with the far right. It's just it's unaccountable. Not juicy. It's just not juicy enough for them. That's what it is. A green wave is boring. Uh, whereas the far right rise is actually making good headlines, I suppose it's. I think uh, that's what the media's problem is. Yeah, I suppose it's. I mean, maybe it appeals to the horror writer in in in, in the, the lurks inside every journalist. They they want to scare us. They want to give us something that will keep us awake at night. But I mean, if if climate change isn't going to keep us awake at night, maybe it's too scary. I don't know. But yeah, it might well be. I think you know th this. There is a problem still, you know, what we've seen doesn't suggest that there isn't one. As I say, there's still too many people, from my liking anyway, voting for these kinds of parties. Mm. But yeah, it's blown out of proportion. And the real winners are kind of a bit hidden by a lot of commentators, not talked about. Uh, and certainly the Greens, I mean, my hometown uh, voted Green in uh, as the first party. Mm. And I mean, that's, that's, Bielefeld is, is not necessarily super conservative or anything like that, but certainly being a Labour town most of the time. Um, that I recall, or switching with conservatives, but not green. So, I thought you know, I, th I thought Bielefeld doesn't actually exist. Uh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Axel can tell you all about that one. <laughs> uh, yes, I can indeed. But that would be another full hour podcast, I think. Um, uh, yeah, my, my take on the elections. I'm actually very, very uh, pleased uh, with both with both the results in the UK and uh, and the uh, results in, in Europe. Um, yeah. As Tammy alluded to, uh, the far right didn't make the gains uh, it was predicted to. Uh, what's really great is to see turnout uh, both in, in, in the UK and across Europe actually rising. People are taking more interest in Europe, which mm -hmm. is great. And I think Brexit is uh, partly to blame for that uh, mm -hmm. in a positive way. So yeah. there's a silver lining. Um, and all of the more far right parties in, uh, in Europe and the EU27 uh, are now moving away from the exit idea and are just more Eurosceptic. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm actually uh, morally happy with the results. Uh, obviously, the Brexit party not being a party, but a limited company uh, without a manifesto and out, uh, without democratic uh, structures is scary. Uh, that's um, the Americanism of uh, British politics, really. Uh, that's quite <clears throat> scary indeed if we move down that line. But... Uh, that's, wow. I think, for yeah. something to tackle over the next months. Yeah, yeah.
Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I think, you know, let's start with the good news. Um, you, you've already I think, outlined the, the reasons why we, we should be happy, I think, with the result. I mean, I'm particularly happy to see uh, some really good MEPs return, people like Molly Scott Cato and Seb Dance. Um, you know, what, um, what, what a relief to, to see them back in, 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 in the parliament. That was, you know, Seb in particular, I think there was some, some concern that he might lose his seat uh, for reasons that we've discussed at length. Um, so I was glad that he didn't. I really, you know, I really am genuinely glad that he didn't. Mm. Um, I think I mean, it's a bit of a problem with the European elections that you vote on the Thursday and then you have to wait a few days for the results. And it, it does make it a little bit, it's not the same kind of experience as you get with um, general elections. Um, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that pause before the actual results hit slightly takes the wind out of your sails. Um, and I, I felt, I must say, I, I woke up to the news on, on on Monday morning and although I think we're, it's right that we should feel glad at the result, I think we should feel encouraged by the result. And it is a good result for, for, for Europe and also for, in the UK for Remainers. Nevertheless, you know, it still sticks in my throat that um, a third of the people who voted voted for this non-party, this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. registered this meaningless, pointless protest, uh, mm-hmm. this nihilistic vote for Farage, and that there are going to be 28 people sat in that European Parliament carrying on the same kind of awfully embarrassing antics that Farage and his crew did in the last Parliament and Parliaments before that. It's it's not something I look forward to, I must say. I'm really not look from looking forward to going to Parliament, sitting in the hemicycle and seeing them all sat there with their little Union Jacks and their flag on their desks as they do. But, you know, that's that's life. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, a democracy has to be able to withstand that. It's getting harder, of course, and we have all sorts of other questions, don't we, about the extent to which yeah. the UK qualifies as a democracy, which might well, be a perfect transition to our actual topic. Perhaps. Exactly. Well, let's, let's, uh, exactly. let's transition to it. I think you're right. <laughs> well, sorry, that wasn't necessarily. We can we can have a, an extended uh, no, I think period we should. of <laughs> no, because I, I think we plan. I mean, I plan to come back to uh, the election um, in a more reflective way, perhaps next week or in a future week, um, when we talk about the makeup of the new European Parliament and mm-hmm. the implications for the next Commission and the next um, Council President and so on. So we won't nec- we won't do that tonight. I think we should focus on on this story that. Um, has rather uh, animated the three of us, um, which is the um, the fact that on election day we seem to be we seem to be seeing so many stories of people who were not able to vote, and they gen- they generally were we were talk- we're talking about EU citizens in the UK, who of course have a legal right under the treaty under international law to vote in their election for their parliament. Uh, but also, to, 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 to a lesser extent, it seemed to be a problem facing a lot of British people voting in for UK candidates, but from overseas, so registering a postal vote. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what were your own personal experiences? Should I start? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, this was, I, I think some people might have read my article, this was a, something we knew was going to come. 
So I was genuinely sitting there in great sort of desperation because I had mm. no doubt that this was going to be a problem. Um, and we've known that for some weeks. I mean, the three million raised it up. So you can maybe tell her a little bit, tell us a bit about that many times in different contexts to try and avert this. If we maybe start with that first and then we can talk about what happened on the day. Yeah, I mean, uh, we kind of knew this was going to happen uh, right from the get go. Um, on probably the second week of April, um, we looked into what councils are doing, uh, how well they're informing new citizens. And uh, we already got some reports that councils were not informing EU citizens at the time mm. that they had to fill in this extra form. <clears throat> so mm. on the 15th, uh, so about four or five days after the announcement of the elections going ahead, uh, we called the Electoral Commission and said, in 2014, you committed, uh, because it was a problem then already, uh, you committed to send these forms to everybody every EU citizen on your register, are you going to do it? Um, and the Electoral Commission said, well, we cannot force uh, councils to send out this form. We advised them to do so. And uh, what we've seen in the, in the days after was quite clear, people saying they haven't received a form. Um, and what we found out in the last couple of days, councils sent out forms as late as the 2nd of May to be returned on the 4th of May <coughs> by post. Um, so leaving people zero time and some people actually received their forms after the 7th of May, which was a deadline to turn them in. So, um, that was, it was, the writing was on the wall. Yeah. Um, and what we've seen on election day itself, so on, on the Thursday was just the tip of the iceberg. Those were the people who were unaware that they had to send a form or they thought they had sent the form in time and the councils didn't, didn't process them in time. But, a lot of people actually knew they were already denied a vote mm. um, because they missed the deadline or they found out afterwards they should have sent in the form. So this is a big bulk of people who were excluded even before election mm. day and found out before. And the outcry on Thursday was just a, uh, a an outcry of people who actually weren't aware at all, yeah. mostly. And Axel, just to... Just to um, the interrupt the the report the form that you refer to is the form where eu citizens are required to make a declaration that they will not vote in their country of origin that's, what, what people often that's call home correct. country um, which is a whole other issue but uh it, it's where they say basically they say we're not going to vote in this twice we will only vote in the uk and that's absolutely correct. And uh, in the UK, the process is that uh, EU citizens have to fill this in every time there's a European election. Uh, the process is different in other countries. Uh, for example, in Netherlands, you only do it once and you then have to declare that you're not going to vote in the Netherlands again. Uh, so it's, a, it's, it's ongoing for every election and it doesn't have to be done every four or five years. So um, the, the process is very different in the UK to most processes across so, the And why world. is that? Um, Why has the UK got the, this sort of much more complicated process than other countries? They love their bureaucracy. Um, <laughs> Contrary and, and to popular belief, right? They, they yes, do love bureaucracy. Yes, 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 seriously. Yeah. We're, we're three Germans yeah. sitting here moaning about British bureaucracy. <laughs> yes, yeah, but but, but that, is, that is the bizarre thing, isn't it, yeah. right? Because, you know, the, the declaration itself isn't the issue. You shouldn't vote twice, and I think it's it's absolutely fine to require people to declare that. But what but happens to innocent people until proven? But the process... The, 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 the process 
uh, and because there isn't actually any real proper cross-checking is mm. a whole other mm. issue. But, you know, the process here is incredibly bureaucratic. And, um, of course, and, I can, and, you know, as a British yeah. citizen, I could vote. You know, they, they're not requiring me to fill in a form saying I'm not going to vote twice, but I could have voted in Belgium. I could have voted twice. Nobody was checking on me. <laughs> well, even, 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 even more, I'm British and German now, so I've, I've, I'm dual national. Um, and I didn't have to fill in the form, despite the fact that I could vote twice. Yeah. So the, the 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 process doesn't even make sense. No, it's discriminatory, um, basically. Yeah. Well, it is. It is. It is just a, a hurdle put in. And yeah. uh, in 2014, already the the number of uh, EU voters when the form was introduced dropped from a, a million in 2009 to about 327,000 in 2014. Um, and this year, uh, with the late notice of the election and the poor performance of many bodies uh, involved in this, um, we feel it's even going to be bigger, the mm -hmm. drop. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was actually denied my vote last time um, for, for the reason of this form, or rather my proxy was, because I wasn't in the country. And so that caused all sorts of uh, problems, which is why I was perhaps especially alert to the whole issue as well, mm. because I knew it had happened before. And I know mm. how it feels well, my proxy, and then I, <laughs> a bit later, knew what it felt like not mm. to be able to vote. Mm. So it's it's not a nice feeling. But right. to me, really, the biggest point is that if the political will had been there to change this and try and avert it, it could have been averted, and it wasn't. Yeah. So that, to me, is the much bigger scandal, because the timelines were tight, councils are stretched. I have some sympathy for different approaches. I mean, I'm not trying to say it's good, but you know, I can kind of understand mm. some of these issues that councils were faced with. But I can't understand nor accept the fact that certainly in Parliament, the Prime Minister was repeatedly alerted to this, and just a day before the election, she refused to do anything about it. No. Um, Jonna Cherry from the uh, SNP, with the help of some other MPs, raised the issue, expressly asked about this, and the Prime Minister didn't really answer the question, no. but by not really answering no. the question, basically confirmed that this was just going to happen. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, one might debate about the practicalities of a day before the election to still do something about it. But again, that's a separate question. One could have tried. One could have maybe provided for people being able to sign on the spot, all sorts of things. <laughs> if the will is there, you know, there yeah. are solutions. You but know, it, the, will, the will wasn't there. That's ex if the prime minister of the country stands up in parliament and says, we acknowledge that there might be a problem, there shouldn't be a problem, all those eligible should get a vote. That sends a message, doesn't it, to mm -hmm. um, to uh, those people who are conducting the elections, to the people who are sitting in polling stations ma managing these elections. It flags that they might have a problem that they might want to watch out for. You know, it, it sends a signal, and and her silence, as you say, sent precisely the opposite signal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, this has been raised from three weeks prior to the vote uh, by Mike Gabes. Catherine West has. Uh, has, has has raised it, uh, John and Sherry, uh, Tom Brake. Uh, it has been raised mm. cross-party uh, in mm. Parliament, and mm. every time it was raised, it was not acted upon. Which is uh, which is which is absolutely right. Mm. It sends a, a terrible signal to EU citizens. And to say, and this is this is one of the things people can vote in their, and I'm putting this in inverted commas, home countries. The UK is our home, but in ho in their home mm. countries. When the registration deadlines for those elections had passed weeks, sometimes yeah, months, yeah, months ago, ago. Yeah. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's not a solution no. at all. No. Um, so no. there was no will to find a way. Well, and, this is uh, it. That, I mean, that's pretty sad. 
you yeah. really get but this is yeah sorry, sorry. No. That, that, that's another uh, for me really serious and, and really really sad issue the point about uh, you know at home because i know of a lot of eu citizens who changed their choice basically mm. so they were going to vote in their countries of citizenship because the uk wasn't going to have these mm. eu elections but then when that became a reality, they chose to do it here mm. because the UK is their home. So naturally, mm. they wanted to vote in their home. And now a good number of them haven't voted at all. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about the group of people, including British in Europe, who are, who are already the most disenfranchised yeah. group uh, in, in all of this. And yet, you know, here we are. They are being genuinely screwed over in a really bad way by yeah. choice. Again. Absolutely, absolutely. The British in Europe, uh, I mean, receiving receiving their postal votes uh, after the deadline of sending them back uh, is not good enough. No. Uh, and there was plenty of time to do so. And I think there needs to be a proper review of the process, mm. which is which is too late for this election, uh, obviously, mm. um, uh, and will not change anything. But going forward, this can't happen. That councils are sending it out so late that people actually are physically. Uh, hindered from 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 voting it's mm. uh, it's it's ridiculous so, and um yeah no i was going to say so um in, i voted in the uk um because i'm now re-registered back in the uk but for many years i was a, a british voter overseas uh until i lost that because after 15 years you lose as a brit you lose your vote um if you're, if you're not resident in the uk uh, which is a whole other story but anyway mm-hmm. um i had a vote back in the uk and I, um, I was fortunate enough to have somebody that could vote for me as a proxy. And I always went for the proxy option. I think actually postal votes overseas weren't even introduced until quite recently. But I never quite trusted the overseas postal vote. I always thought that, that was leaving a little bit too much of a hostage to fortune. Um, but, I mean, it seems to me that there are so many ways in which this could be done more effectively and better. I mean, there, there's another whole podcast that has been has been done and we could do again about how British citizens living outside the UK are effectively abandoned by the home country, that residence seems to count for more than um, nationality. Um, And yet at the same time, uh, nationality within the UK seems to count for more than residence. So you've got the sort of double exclusion of citizens mm-hmm. who are both residents but not British and citizens who are British but not resident. And mm-hmm. um, yes. other countries do it so much better. I mean, when you look at the way in which the French manage their um, expatriate population and, and, and their representation in Parliament, they've had two dedicated MPs mm-hmm. you know, for, for, for mm-hmm. overseas, uh, for the overseas French. And when you, when, when you have uh, voting day in, Brus- um, in, in the European elections in Brussels and you see the queues snaking along uh, streets outside uh, embassies. You know, the Romanian embassy was a classic photo of the queue outside the Romanian embassy going, I mean, miles and miles, people queuing to vote in the European elections. There are mm-hmm. ways in which these things can be done. It's not beyond the wit of, 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 of man or woman to fix this. But for some reason, it just doesn't seem to be a priority or, or even on the radar of, um, of the- what, what is sh- what is shocking? I mean, 2014 it happened, and uh, the Electoral Commission uh, committed and promised that they will look into it. Uh, and the excuse they said why this wasn't happening is because since 2016, uh, everybody was telling them that 
there wouldn't be in a European election. Uh, but the question I have, and we as a three million have, is what happened in between 2014 and 2016? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two years in which these things could have been ch- changed and uh, adapted and improved. And in those two years, nothing happened. And now we're talking, and now the excuse is, well, since 2000, mid 2016, um, we, we, we were told we're leaving the EU, nothing needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's not an excuse for, for wasting two years before. Mm-hmm. So, so we have, so we have in the case of EU citizens in the UK, we've got, um, one set of people who, um, were not even sent the form or, or did not even receive the form that they needed to, mm-hmm. the de- that they needed to sign as a declaration in order to be able to get onto the electoral register. Um, but then you have another set of people, like my mother, for example. So my mum got the form, which she filled in, in very good time. She got it. I mean, Bucks, um, South Bucks, um, where she lives, um, were obviously on top of this uh, insofar as they got those forms sent out before it was even clear that we'd have a European election. So she got the form, she filled it in, she sent it back well before the deadline, weeks before the deadline, but she didn't get a polling card. Now... I know that in the UK, you don't necessarily need a polling card as long as you're on the register. I mean, this is a 76-year-old woman with mobility problems. She wasn't going to go to the polling station and pick a fight with the returning officer or with the, with the, with the polling station staff um, just in order to see whether or not she's on the register. Um, so by not sending her the polling card that she should have received, I mean, I got one, um, you know, that, that effectively disenfranchised her. Um, and I, I'm sure that that's happened to other people, um, because we've also heard about people who've gone and, 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 and tried that, haven't we? And been told yeah. many times, no, you, you can't vote. Yeah. No, yeah. you're not allowed to vote. Uh, we, yeah. we have, we have received over 600, uh, uh, responses to our request for evidence. And the, the, the range of cases is, uh, is incredible. Uh, it's councils claiming that they've lost the form. It's councils claiming that they received the form after the deadline, despite people sending it two weeks ahead. Mm. Uh, there's councils um, saying that uh, uh, they send out the f- they send out polling cards and the polling cards didn't arrive. So there's all kinds of uh, the, the, the 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 total breadth of this. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many different cases uh, and so many different things happening. Uh, when you talk about two sets of different uh, EU citizens, don't forget those who are who only fifty three percent of EU citizens are on the on the register in the first place. Mm-hmm. So those are the ones who should have received the form. But forty seven percent were the ones who who might have newly registered. Um, and to do that, the, the the council did not provide any information. Uh, it was a very complicated three step process. Uh, not like the one for the UK where you just go online for UK citizens where you get online. You have to then go to a different website, download that form on top, then fill it in, then send it in by post. Um, th- those, those, those are the people who were disenfranchised by the, by, by a different process. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's quite a large chunk of EU citizens as well. So, uh, we, it's about 2.4 million voters, EU citizen voters. And, uh, as said in 2014, only 327,000 voted. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the UK, obviously people might have voted in their country of citizenship. Mm. Um, but 
you know, it's 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 pretty. It was pretty obvious in 2014. It wasn't working. Uh, it should have worked this time. So, so what's your but, best guess uh, of the scale of the problem? Sorry, Tanya. Uh, just to, yeah. What's your best guess of the scale of the problem then? I give you. Uh, I can give you some numbers. So, we provided a uh, template complaint letter to the electoral commission, uh, which we put online. Uh, we had over five thousand downloads. So when when people said on on the Sunday I watched Sky News and they were saying oh it might be a handful, um, it's not a handful. Uh, so five thousand people downloading the form, uh, and on the day uh, when we put it out, which was actually on election day, and actually the electoral commission ringing us up and saying uh, why are you putting out a form, which means they must have received quite a lot of responses, um, is quite telling. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's not insignificant. I mean, we're not talking about um, something that may have completely altered the electoral landscape, uh, but we are talking about it's not an insignificant problem. Well, I mean, even if you just looked at the Twitter hashtag, uh, uh, even if you just looked at the Twitter hashtag, you get a real good glimpse of the the, the range of issues, but also the scale of it. Mm. I mean, that was trending as a slightly, which to this day I find utterly bizarre. It's by accident and complete coincidence, but the denied my vote hashtag was one I attached to a tweet of mine right after midnight before polling stations opened while I was sitting in my bed in my nightgown, literally, Mm. basically. And by 8 a.m. in the morning, there were already stories. Mm. uh, And, you know, nobody used that in between. So just the way it got traction is Mm. a story in itself, I think. Mm. I've never seen that sort of quick traction mm. it was partly, I think, down to some people with bigger following numbers flagging it as an issue. But again, it was very quick. And by 10 a.m., I think it was trending at number one mm. in the UK mm. on a day when there were quite a lot of other news items. So uh, there was obviously the election itself and lots of other things. So there was a, a good bit of competition to kind of mm. go against. And ultimately, of course, these twi- thre- uh, sorry hashtags get used by people who are not telling a story, but who are just using it to make a point. So it's a much more complicated story, of course, but there were a lot of tweets of stories. And again, I think the scale is, is very significant. And what I was going to say earlier, one of the, or two actually, things that shocked me the most were stories of people who had um, actually been told, they expressly told they don't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. So they registered to vote and then they got a letter back from their council saying, you're registered to vote, this is kind of all you have to do. When in actual fact, they should have been told, and here is form X, Y, and Z that you have to now fill in. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing. That's obviously absolutely terrible because they got the wrong information from the council. But there were also really sad stories by a lot of EU citizens who said they went into the polling station and saw their names crossed out on the actual register and were told Mm. there that they couldn't vote. So they were on the register and they hadn't submitted the form. But to see that, and of course, Mm. in the context of Brexit, when you're rejected all the time, I mean, just imagine that if nothing else, just from a sort of perception perspective, you know, how that must feel. And that applies to everybody. It's not specific to EU citizens. It's how it's handled here in the UK. But, you know, the context makes a big difference, I think. There were lots of, lots of upset people. I just just wanted to add to that. uh, The significance of this election to EU citizens was uh, greater than to uh, to, to, to many other voters because this is potentially, or this was potentially the last nationwide 
vote that EU citizens can take part in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, because from should we Brexit in October, uh, the only elections we will be part of is local elections, bin collections and uh, potholes. Yeah. That's what we're going to be relegated to. Um, and so a lot of people were really keen to to register and we ran we ran a campaign actually as a as the three million to encourage people to register mm. um giving them the three steps they have to do to uh, in a very simple in a very simple form so that they can actually do it and we we tried to encourage them and we had huge take up on this um so yes people wanted to vote because mm-hmm. it's the last it was the last chance really mm-hmm. uh, to 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 have a to have a say in this country mm. um which is uh, very, which makes us even sadder, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it, 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 as you say, this was. We spent a lot of time before the the election stressing that this is not a proxy referendum. Uh, we didn't want it to be, and it wasn't, and it shouldn't be seen that way. But of course, for a lot of EU citizens, this is the only chance. This is the only chance they got to vote and to to, to give an opinion on whether to vote for a Brexit party or a Remain party, because they didn't, they were disenfranchised. We were disenfranchised from the referendum. We're disenfranchised from a general election. This was the only chance mm-hmm. to vote on but I mean, that, that, that's That's why it's so important that this doesn't just die, basically. Yes. So denied my vote has to have a legacy and the legacy has to be a change. So we have to start looking at the franchise. We have to start looking at how the whole process works EU citizens are kind of at the core of this at the moment because there are so many practical, immediate issues. But this isn't actually just a question about EU citizens. It's about immigrants more broadly. It's about all the differences that you can see between different groups. As I think we've discussed before, Brexit, if it goes ahead, is going to create classes of citizens and the franchise is going to be one way in which they will be sorry, uh, separated uh, for EU citizens, there might be all sorts of other things coming as well. But that, to me, is the point that's really important. And I guess that connects partly to the legal challenge as well that the three million are looking into. It's about this particular issue, but there are wider implications potentially from it. So I, I, think, so I want I to think, come... Sorry, go on. Yeah, Excellent. sorry. Uh, yeah, I think I think the uh, the the denied my vote and the 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 search and people wanting to register that we've seen as as the three million is showing the appetite for people to actually participate uh in 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 the british in british life um and tanya rightly says uh, we need to look at the franchise in one way or another um and say Vote leave or those who voted leave said EU citizens, immigrants are not wanting to in- integrate properly, but denying people a basic right of, uh, of voting and, and being part of society through voting, um, is, is actually hindering integration. So I think there is, there's definitely something that we need to look at, um, who is, who can vote. What is the resident? As you rightly said earlier before, nationality, residence, it's all mixed up in the UK. It's a really, really confused yeah, picture, and I think it's, it's worthwhile uh, looking into. Well, there are two things here. So one is what's, what we're going to do about this, which is what I want to come to, because you already mentioned the court case. So I want to come to that in a second. But before we leave the analysis of what happened, um, a lot of people have said, well, look, this was an administrative cock-up. This was this was just people get, making a mistake um, because they didn't know until the last minute 
or that, that there was even going to be an election or because we just don't have the systems in place. Now, those things might be true, but for me, no, I, I'm a civil servant. I don't believe in conspiracy theories. I believe in cock-up because, I mean, that's, you know, I can't imagine any government being joined up enough to engage in a proper conspiracy. But when you look, uh, when you look at this situation, it, 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 it looks deliberate. Now, not deliberate in the sense that there was a, a plot, there was a secret cabinet committee that sat down and thought, well, how, what can we do to exclude EU citizens? But deliberate in the sense that there was a deliberate um, guilt by omission, a deliberate lack of duty of care of people who had a right, a legal right, to vote in this, in this election. Um, mm. There are things that could have been done to make sure that this didn't happen. There were warnings given that were ignored. Um, there, were, there was treatment of people who went to register their vote or went to vote or went to say, why am I not? There were, the way in which people were treated was, was, was disgraceful. And these things were not one-off because we saw, didn't we, by the stories that were reported over the course of the day, that these things were not just one-off. And in the context of the hostile environment and citizens of nowhere and so on, you have to conclude that this is not simply an accidental cock-up. There's more going on here. Well, it's certainly a choice, right? I think that's the key point, the sort of point you were, I think, making, uh, Chris, as well. To my mind, I, I agree with what you say. I don't think it's a deliberate conspiracy, and I think people need to stop casting it like that. I, I don't see the evidence. But I have said publicly, and I would say again, that I think it is a form of voter suppression that is mm. deliberate because it's a choice mm. and it was a choice because uh, this could have at least been improved or you know even if actually as many people had been turned away but if there was a statement on record of the prime minister recognizing that this is a problem that would already be different but we don't have any such signs quite the opposite we just have a series of choices at each and every point that meant this was bound to happen and this was going to happen yep. um yeah I think the, the attitude uh, was clear from uh, the communication by the Electoral Commission, but also by uh, Parliament uh, or government, better said, um, saying, well, if you can't vote here, vote in your home country. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, a, there's this really non-caring, there, it's patronising um, and it's also a non-caring attitude. Well, we, we're not really denying you a vote because you had a choice to vote somewhere else. So what are you complaining about? That's the kind of attitude uh, that's coming across. Um, people not, and this, this shows how, how detached, uh, government is from, from, from what EU citizens really feel is they're living here. They want to be part of the, of the decision making that is based in the UK, not part of a decision making of a country they might have left 10, 15 years ago. Well, in the case of my mom, they have a choice to do so. They, they have a choice to do so. That's absolutely fine. And, and, and I have still interest in what's happening in German politics. So therefore I do still vote in Germany, but that doesn't because I might return one day. But what really concerns me right now is what happens in the UK or comes from the UK. And that's mm. why I want to vote here and not in another country. But you know, I mean, the British, if, if the British really did have this famous sense of fair play that they, that they love to think about themselves, I mean, they would do there are, there are solutions that there was there are solutions that would have been so much neater and and and, and more uh humane for example um you go to vote 
you turn up at the polling station, they find your name on the electoral register. There's a little mark after it saying EU citizen. You are then asked to sign a, a, a declaration there and then saying, I promise not to vote somewhere else. How hard would that's, that be? That's what other countries do. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Germany sends out letters to, e, to registered EU citizens before and says, well, it's, it's, it's a criminal offence to vote in two countries. These are the consequences if you do. There's a fine. There's potential imprisonment, which has never happened. But that, that's how they deal with it. Yeah, that's how mm-hmm. they in say, Belgium just, I got just the same not, letter, yeah. Just, just do not do it. Yeah. Uh, that's mm-hmm. all they say. Yeah. Um, uh, so there is this, this could have been resolved. But the way uh, in which, but, yeah. But there is a matter of law. Um, uh, so the Electoral Commission says our hands are bound because the law is saying we need to have these forms in at least 12 days before the election. That's British um, law, not European law. That's British law, absolutely. Yep. And that could, that could have been changed there and then by the government. They haven't done mm. it. Yeah. So, again, you know, I think in the context of Brexit, it's all worse. It was bad in 2014 for all these reasons. It was the same problem. But to have this now with a group of people already so rejected, again, I can only encourage everyone to have a quick glance at the hashtag because you get a good sense, really, of the desperation, of the sadness uh, of, of many people. And it cuts right across. I mean, there was a barrister. There was someone from, who was it now, Human Rights or Amnesty International, yes, I yes. think, the Europe di- director, your mum, you know, older EU citizens. Yeah. And and these are the people who could have maybe had a chance to know about it, regardless of whether their council told them or not. But of course, there are many older people mm. who wouldn't even, you know, how would they download a form? Do they have internet? Mm. So it's there's a whole range of, of issues here. They pose lots of questions, I think, about the attitude of the UK government to the right to vote. You know, it gets very uh, kind of Trumpy and all of a sudden, yeah. and or US style, not just Trump. In fairness, we've uh, know know this from from previous elections, where there are increasing number of hurdles in the way for people to have to overcome before they can vote, and I think that's really serious. It's incredibly alienating and disempowering. Um, it, mm. it really is. It, it it really impacts the morale of people who are already really suffering. Um, mm-hmm. Many in many cases, very serious. Uh, unhappiness and depression as a result of what's going on. So, yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> well, that's another thing that, that, that people, you know, don't fully fully realise. I mean, I know it's a, a separate um, matter, but as we've sort of mentioned it now, nobody, and with nobody, I mean, I think neither in the UK nor uh, the EU more generally is uh, recognising enough the impact all of this has on the mental health uh, of EU citizens and British citizens who live in other EU countries. You know, there's there's no name for it yet, but there's going to be something like post-traumatic stress disorder style Brexit type for this Mm. particular group of people. You can already see that now. And, uh, you know, it, it really is uh, shameful and there are, it's complex matter and we don't have to talk about it in detail. But, you know, to anyone who's listening and might feel like that, make sure that you talk to people and there are help numbers which we can maybe put underneath just in case because this has upset lots of people underneath the, the recording. Um, but, you know, this is a serious issue and this has brought it out again, I think, for a lot of people. There was a lot yeah. of despair. No, no, Tanya, you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. This is a very serious issue. We, we did actually have a dedicated podcast. Um, yeah on the subject of mental health yeah. and, and how Brexit is affecting so many of us. Yeah. Um, but it, it bears repeating every every time um, that this is, uh, if, if, you, if you are feeling um, in any way 
stressed, depressed, anxious uh, about Brexit, you are most definitely not alone. <laughs> For starters, definitely not alone. There's at least 5 million people I could think of who feel the same way. Probably many, many, many more. Um, and um, all the usual advice applies, which is don't suffer in silence, don't don't ignore um, the symptoms, don't, you know, be, be ready to acknowledge uh, this in yourself and, and, and seek um, help in, in any way. I mean, there are all sorts of ways in which you can find help. Don't don't look on that as a weakness in any way. It's, it's important. Mm, so should we move to what happens next? Um, Axel, this is what I'm really interested to hear about. So tell us a, a little bit about <laughs> your plans. How are we going to fight uh, back? Well, well we, we, we talked about uh, some of the elements already. Um, so what we, what, what this is actually means is in one way or another, uh, the process, um, and the actual, uh, administration of the process, uh, has led to discrimination, uh, quite clearly, uh, based on nationality. Um, and this is where we are looking in at the moment, uh, what is at fault, who is at fault. So there is not one party, uh, we're looking at, um, multi-party uh, defendants on this um, in terms of is it the cabinet office and the process uh, has the electoral commission failed in one form or another and what is the role of the uh, the electoral registration officer on this um, so those these are the things and what kind of discrimination has happened and how has it happened and what has facilitated this um, so that's that's the idea so the, the court case um, that we are uh, planning for at the moment, we funded the uh, initial investigation, which is brilliant, uh, which is going to cost quite a lot of money. As I said, we've got about 600, over 600 uh, now uh, pieces of evidence, uh, individual cases. Uh, they need to be sifted and we need to find the best cases to take forward. Mm -hmm. um, the court case itself will not overrule the result of the elections. Uh, this will be a court case uh, brought by people who were um, uh, who were effectively the, the victims of the process uh, and therefore uh, suffered a kind of a loss, the loss of being able to vote. Um, so because we're not overturning, the, we don't want to overturn the result of the, the elections. That's for other people to do if they want to challenge this. Um, for us, it's really about sending a clear message a clear message that uh, EU citizens can't be messed with uh, now <laughs> and they can't be messed with in the future. Uh, any legislation, any process being put in place, mm. um, we will look at it and we will not let them get away with it. Um, uh, and since 2016, one of the benefits of Brexit, the referendum, is uh, with the three million, uh, we finally have a one voice talking for all EU citizens rather than 27 different voices of 27 different countries. Mm -hmm. So um, we we are looking what the government are doing and we are not letting them get away with it now. We won't in the future. Mm. And you're still collecting cases, right? So if anyone's listening we, uh, who has a case that you haven't shared yet or have shared maybe a different route, just make sure to go and tell the three million as well. So there's a form on your website, yes. isn't there? Yes, if you go, it's the first thing on our webpage. So if you go on to uh, the three million dot org dot UK with the number three in the middle, um, it's the first thing on our on our webpage at the moment. We're 
still we're we're we're, we're looking for more evidence. Uh, we know there's more evidence out there, uh, but we're also still asking people to complain to the electoral commission, which uh, the, uh, the the template form is still underneath there. So uh, if you have been affected, and that doesn't mean uh, only being turned away on the day, but also if you had found out before Thursday that you couldn't vote for one reason or another because you missed the deadline or the form was sent late or you didn't even know that what needed to perform, you found out too late, please uh, come forward. Uh, we are we are actually looking for more. Um, and the more we have, uh, the more powerful, A, our political <coughs> message will be, but B, our court case. No, it's, it's one of those things where... Um, you can't let this go. I mean, you know, you, you, on principle, you have to, you have to take a stand. You have to act. Mm-hmm. So, look, I mean, I'll, I'll the, put links to that in the um, in the episode notes. Yeah, the the, the thing is, it will not. The, the problem at the moment is politically, uh, it's recess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't have any parliament talking about anything. Uh, there have been several calls for inquiries, political inquiries. Um, and I spoke to to a couple of politicians yesterday, MPs yesterday, uh, and they are offering help and said, "What can we do uh, to make this uh, t- to give this a bit more prominence and uh, keep Good. it keep it in the media?" So <laughs> there is interest. There's definite interest there. Um, it's for them. It's a great case of another failure um, uh, of government. Uh, and for us, it's absolutely crucial that we hold the government to account. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in, in that sense, a slightly twisted sense, of course, Theresa May's resignation pushed it all out of the news way too quickly, <laughs> just to emphasize that again. Um, uh, you know, this is, this is uh, in fact, I had two interviews lined up uh, for the day and they got both ditched. Yeah. Um, because of it. And they were from uh, continental European media, which was perhaps particularly sad because yeah. I, it also needs to be discussed there, not least yeah. because British and Europe are also affected. And while it's still a UK mm. problem, I'd like continental European leaders to be aware of the scale well, of this and that it, yeah. that it affects so many people who are at home in another EU country um, as well. I mean, one of the overall lessons, again, is in all of this, that people just don't matter. I mean, as sad as it makes me to say it, but that's the one thing we can absolutely already say. And sadly, you know, it applies to both sides in, in one way or other uh, to an increasing extent. And that also has to change. And this big scandal is, again, one way that has brought that out in a, in a really tragic way. And that's another reason, I think, why it's important to challenge it and keep talking mm-hmm. about it, because it's just not okay. Well, I mean, it, 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 the good news is that um, if if you can call it good news, um, it, it was most certainly noticed mm-hmm. um, on the continent and in Brussels, mm-hmm. and and there were there was an immediate reaction online and on social media uh, yes. from senior politicians, both in the Parliament and the Commission. Uh, so mm-hmm. so it, it, it has most certainly been noticed. Uh, well, I think there have been. There have been letters uh, to the government uh, by Claude Moras and mm-hmm. by Catherine Bearder mm-hmm. um, yeah. demanding demanding inquiries, which is great. But I think it also um, should shake up uh, the European Union in one way or another as well uh, and saying looking at uh, citizenship and rights and that those rights yeah. are actually enforced and maybe strengthened uh, mm-hmm. in one way or another. Mm-hmm. 
because the the five million, so the British in Europe and us over here, but actually the seven seven odd million, or it's more than that, ten million who are benefiting from freedom of movement right now mm-hmm. across the EU are probably politically the least um, the the least represented group uh, of EU citizens, though we yeah. are living the yeah. EU the most. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we, we we're not we're not part of the franchise nationally. Um, and we are not really part of the, the franchise, mm. um, in, 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 in nationally in the, in the host country mm. and nationally in the, in the country of, uh, of citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I found that I found if I write to a German MP and said, you are my MP, I moved away 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I never receive an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how it feels. And I think mm-hmm. there needs to be something on the European level as well to mm-hmm. strengthen this right of, of, yeah. I mean, what, 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 what is EU citizenship? I mean, by coincidence, I'm working on something at the moment around the franchise for the three million, uh, or, well, my own campaigning, but generally for them, for them. And just by coincidence today, I was reading a lot of research on this and, um, there was something around the question of stakeholders. Are you a stakeholder in where you live? You know, mm. if, can you be that if you are not uh, enfranchised, if you can't vote and exercise this really critical right? And they had um, they had a lot of uh, examples about the EU context because that's brought out a lot of these problems now with Brexit in particular. But even before, you know, what is this thing, EU citizenship? Mm. And the EU has to really sit down and, and look at that because, as we can see now, quite sadly and tragically, actually it doesn't seem to mean all that much because we all chose to exercise it, chose to be kind of basically at the heart of Europe by exercising freedom of movement. Yet here we are, five million people are basically abandoned in many ways. Rights are yeah. not protected, well, you know. I mean, Tanya, to me, I mean, listen, this to me is a, is a Brexit silver lining because without a shadow mm-hmm. of a doubt, the Brexit, the, the whole, sorry, Brexit experience has made this an issue where it wasn't before. I mean, mm-hmm. it, 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 EU citizenship has become painfully meaningful for uh, a very large number of EU citizens. So mm-hmm. without a doubt, this yeah. is going to be this is going to be a theme going forward. And I just wanted to say before we before we left the point that um, Commissioner Jourova did um, did tweet about the uh, about the issue. Um, I, think the yeah, I think they, a few so did. I think a few did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one other thing. Sorry, I, I, the conversation has moved on, but I don't want to leave um, leave this point. Um, Axel, you, you you said that um, stories are still welcome. Um, People should submit their stories of being denied a vote on the website. What about um, yes. what about funding? Are you still looking for more money for the, for, for funding the court case? That's a that's a very that's a very good question. So um, we have collected forty thousand uh, pounds, and we've actually at the moment stopped uh, accepting any more any more funding on this uh, until we've done the investigation phase. Okay. Uh, so we don't want to take. We're not the Tommy Robinsons or the uh, 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 Darren Grimes of the world who take every penny we can. Um, we actually only take the money that we need, uh, and until we can definitely say that the court case will go ahead, um, and we've got the best lawyers, we've got uh, some of the uh, best human rights and litigation lawyers you can actually get um, uh, on this, and they are looking through these cases, and they they already think there's a case there. But um, we waiting for their verdict on how to take this forward. Once we know how to take this forward, 
uh, we reckon we need about a hundred and twenty, another eighty to a hundred thousand pounds. Um, and this is to indemnify those people who are going to put a claim forward. Um, and uh, we will reopen the funding um, once we've decided to go ahead with it, uh, mid of June. Mm -hmm. I was going to say my my personal uh, my personal experience with lawyers is that forty k is a drop in the ocean. <laughs> well, well so they, know, they, it, it, they I have been yeah. Sorry. Despite the fact that they are the top 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 lawyers in the in their in their area, probably across Europe even, um, they quoted us twenty thousand for the for the investigation yeah. work, um, uh, which is which is quite because they are actually quite passionate about it. Yeah. They contacted us. We didn't contact them, um, which is great, uh, which means they think we have a case, mm. uh, which is which is always good. And uh, they quoted us 20,000. We have collected that and we're now waiting for a, for the for the verdict of how we're going to take this forward mm. and how much money we actually need to take it forward. Mm -hmm. okay. Okay, good. Well, look, in that case, I won't. I, I um, we will leave the crowdfunding link ah, to a future. No, we 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 won't. We're going to add another <laughs> one. We're going to add another one because that's the legal case, right? The legal case is only there because the three million are there. So we're going to add the crowdfunder uh, for EU citizens champion, okay, so that people can continue to support the three million directly as well. Because if they weren't there then, um, you know, the court case wouldn't be there either. Absolutely. Please, please, please do. And I can, I can tell you, um, <laughs> the decision to take the government to court uh, or to actually not to, we're not, sorry, the decision to go forward with the idea of taking the government to court uh, uh, was taken on Friday evening at uh, 10 past six. Mm. And uh, we had uh, everything in line and ready at Saturday morning, Saturday morning about eleven o'clock, everything signed off by lawyers, everything done, all the work been done, uh, everything set up on the web pages. So we work day and night on this. Um, listen, and and this is this is this is this is a team of this is a team of probably ten to twelve people who've been working on that. Probably most most of it. We finished at one o'clock at night and we started at seven. Uh, this is brilliant. So, this is brilliant. Uh, so this is this is this is what we do, um, and uh, it always looks so so effortless, um, but we are we are putting a lot of effort into it, and we are an organisation that uh, is mainly run by uh, uh, very passionate volunteers. Uh, so if you could support us, uh, it would be absolutely marvellous because this is our second judicial review. Uh, we already have one in, in court coming up on the 23rd of June uh, against the Migration Exemption and the Data Protection Act. So we were debating whether we can actually take this on uh, just because of the workload. Um, mm. And we're still taking this on because it's so important to us. Well, I was going to well, say... I mean, people, sorry, people, 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 uh, you know, the history of EU Citizens Champion is basically this. You know, the fact that there are 12, 20... Add some more activists and volunteers looking after the future of 3.6 million EU citizens, mostly through volunteer time. And that's why the 3 million are my heroes. But that's also why I set up a EU citizens champion to try and make sure that this uh, improves. And it's a matter very, very close to my heart. Mm. So, you know, I, I hope people will continue to fund this. Now, one thing is maybe worth saying, I, I have a sense that at the moment, a lot of people think they shouldn't because we will stop Brexit. 
that's a belief I also hold that I hope we will. But, you know, 3.6 million people cannot live in the hope that that will happen. We have to protect them now. And actually, the reality is, I think, that even if Brexit is stopped, there are still a lot of issues because the work of the 3 million has unearthed quite a lot of problems, many of which are then wider and not just EU citizens. But, you know, we can do a lot with the support. So, I mean, we don't have to dwell on it, but please consider making well, without uh, a donation. Doubt, without a doubt. So, without a doubt... Um um, we 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 will definitely. I mean, I'm definitely going to put the link in um, to support the work that you both do, and and it is extremely important. And I was just going to say, you know, if the if the government, if 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 those advocates of Brexit, um, they could not have chosen a worse bunch of people to piss off. Really, <laughs> I mean, really, if you're going to if you're going to piss off a bunch of people, you you know, people who lawyers, human rights activists. <laughs> Uh, leaders right across their professions, people who have up sticks and moved across the continent to, you know, really, you, you want to piss these people off? Well, you know, good luck, you know, because seriously, um, they've unleashed something. And that then leads to my next point, which is that, um, okay, there's the specific issue of um, correcting or addressing this uh, electoral problem. There are the, the wider issues of addressing uh, problems faced by EU citizens and British in Europe in the context of Brexit. But as you say, there's a whole there's a whole list of other things that need to happen, whether we Brexit or not, um, in relation to the British constitution or lack of it and, and, and the rule of law and the way in which democracy works in the UK, which is not going to go away. Um, and that's another thing that Brexit has, 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 has wakened, I think. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt, that that's that's going to. Well, be we're, now. Mo- we're we're moving. We are moving. We, we are seeing, uh, despite the fact that No Deal Brexit, which is be which is going to be an absolute disaster for the British in Europe and for the three million, uh, is more likely now because the leadership contest going on. Um, we are pushing politicians. We are lobbying politicians. To do the right thing and to change some of those processes they've they've put into place. Mm-hmm. It's also, I think, worth saying. I forgot to say this earlier. In the context of the EU elections, we've seen some people elected uh, in the UK and in in continental Europe who are really progressive about all of these issues. We have to work with them. Mm. Um, also. Uh, progressive views on immigration. We know now for certain, looking at Sheffield, that it's possible to mm. win on the back of a very progressive uh, pro-immigration mm. campaign. Isn't that um, great? And yeah, it's it's great. But it also demonstrates to me what I've always said: it is possible. You won't be able to do it everywhere, but if you try, you can uh, succeed. Mm. And uh, you know, I think if um, not actually, if moving forward, that's what we need Remain campaigners to do. Please trust us on this one. Listen to us. Um, you know, I've done a lot of work for EU Citizens Champion on the street around these sorts of issues. It could be opened up now, including questions to do with the franchise, uh, which might bring us to Michael Gove's proposal briefly. But, you know, these sorts of questions are now of interest to people. People were outraged about the denied my vote scandal. There is a big underlying issue about mm-hmm. British democracy um, here that we should now um, use this sort of very very negative uh, event from last week to talk about more mm. in different forums. So I hope we can facilitate that. Mm. 
Well, look, um, you've, you've mentioned it, um, and we, we've mentioned the Tory leadership contest a few times, and you just mentioned the Michael Gove proposal. Uh, in, in the closing section um, of the podcast, let's um, let's quickly talk about that. So, um, Tanya, do you want to outline briefly what, what we're talking about? Um, well, I think maybe if we start with the three million position. So Michael Gove uh, basically seems to have, we haven't seen the full proposal yet, have we? Or have I missed something? He's coming this week at some point, right? I, so I, we've seen most yeah, of it. Right. Okay. Well, um, then, then you tell the story. It's much better because I just know the newspaper reporting about it. Yes. <laughs> uh, so there's there's a bit of headline grabbing stuff in there. And I think we need to uh, talk about that in terms of... Uh, EU citizens uh, can become British if they arrive before the referendum uh, and the, the, the fee will be waived and uh, it will be effectively free to become British. Uh, that's the headline grabbing stuff. But um, what is really interesting in the proposal he's put forward, and it's far more important to us, uh, because becoming British is a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't necessarily want to do or you don't necessarily can do, depending on your uh, uh, on your country of origin. Uh, dual nationality is not possible everywhere. But what is really, really important, and I think that is got missed in this whole thing, is um, that uh, Alberto Costa has convinced Gove um, that the settled status ap- uh, a system of, of uh, currently, which is an application system, should be changed to a registration yes, system. Yes, that's the key and this is, the, this, is, this is a real game changer uh, for us because we've been pressing for this for two years, uh, mm-hmm. over two years, um, because uh, what that means is if it becomes a registration system, uh, and I'm not going to go into the terminology, what it means is if it's a registration system, you have the right in law and uh, registering is only to get a piece of paper that says that you have got the right so you can go to a employer or rent a property, but you have the right in law, whereas the application, you have to apply first. If you successfully apply, then you will get the status. So far, it looks everybody gets a status. But in 2021, with the application system, there will be a cliff edge. Mm. Everybody who has not applied at that time uh, will be automatically, uh, in a way, irregular, which mm. is worse than what has happened to Windrush. They were just undocumented, but legal. Mm. Um, these EU citizens will become what's commonly known as illegal mm. uh, uh, immigrants. Um, with the registration system, that would not be the case. Uh, that means we would have the right, the rights from day one. So that is the really interesting bit about mm-hmm. it. Uh, it doesn't address, um, issues like the British in Europe. If they want to come back with their, with their German spouse or French spouse, uh, after Brexit, they will still fall under the UK immigration law. So that is not addressed by, by, by the GOF, um, which is, which is what we are definitely wanting for them. And more importantly, and most importantly, it doesn't, it, it, it mitigates some of the issues that a no deal Brexit will bring, but we will still lose rights. Um, if it comes to a no deal Brexit, the best outcome apart from remaining in the EU and having the rights as we have them right now, the best outcome is a citizens rights agreement in one form mm-hmm. or another, uh, whether we have uh, this improvement from regist- from application to registration or which is a impro- massive improvement <coughs> will not make a difference in terms of the 
protection of our rights going forward. Mm. And that's really, really important. Not only what rights, but how they're protected, how long they're protected for, um, what hurdles governments will have to take in the future to take rights away. Mm-hmm. All of those things uh, are far more important mm. uh, than what uh, Michael Gove has proposed, which we do welcome, though. And we hope that every conservative leadership candidate will take that as an example and say, I will do that too. That would be something. That would be something. I'm blocked blocked by Dominic Raab. If he becomes (laughs) prime minister, you know, I'm going to maybe laugh about that one. But I think, you know, the point Axel made is really, really important. A lot of the discussions that we have at the moment about citizens' rights, they look at the immediate issues um, and they are really important, of course, because they produce all sorts of problems. But I really worry about the future in, in many ways much more because I think that's what's when we're going to hit um, various roadblocks. You know, for example, there's a very high number of people who have um, given pre-settled status. So that's not really the final status they need. They will have to do something else. Uh, you know, what's going to happen to them? So when Caroline Noakes or someone happily tweets, tweets, no one's refused, well, we can't actually say that because mm. what's going to happen to all of these people? So there are lots of complex questions. And, you know, th- that kind of gets a bit hidden in these, uh, as Axel Wright yes. said, I think headline, headline mm. grabbing, Ooh, you know, they, they can all be British. And of course, there's another point to be made about that, you know, that assumption that that is sort of the the, the ultimate holy grail. Um, really, in some ways, uh, in some ways, you know, many people may wish to do that, and well, I'm exactly. in no way critical of it. But you know, it's sort of the suggestion again. That's the only way you can really but kind of be here, or what? You know, this is this um, is something yeah. that particularly yanks my chain, um, Tanya, because you know, when I, for example. When I went on Twitter to describe the issues that my mum had had um, voting or not voting, um, you know, a typical response was, well, why doesn't she, you know, why doesn't she just become British? Then she wouldn't have the problem. I'm like, why should she, you know, mm-hmm. why should she? And, and, and it makes me incredibly cross that, I mean, I'm sure the people saying this didn't mean it in a, in a particularly offensive way, but it is offensive. Why should she? You know, she's here. It's her home. She's built a life here. That doesn't mean she's got to have a piece of paper or some passport that, why? You know, I find it, I find, I find it really odd that people say, you know, why, why did you become British? Because, uh, becoming British, now, I am British now, uh, should be something you do. It should be a joyous occasion. Yeah. It should be something you do with pride. You feel at home here, not because some administrative, uh, uh, uh process forces you to become british right. what 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 is more what what is more demeaning of of being british than than becoming british because uh it helps you uh, uh administratively yeah. that's a bit, bit like saying I'm, I'm i'm getting married because i save taxes yes exactly um, exactly that's yeah, exactly so, perfect um, analogy yeah yeah that's it is it's pretty sad and I, I i became british because i actually was fearful of the of what's going to happen um i didn't find it joyous and i'm actually quite disappointed that i didn't have that feeling yeah. of joy yeah because exactly like you say well, you ought to be i'm to just be german your identity. so <laughs> sorry okay <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? I'm a I'm a pure queue jumper, as it were. Still, <laughs> well, but look, I jumped the queue to the passport office. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> you get to now you with your British uh, nationality, you get to pay that little bit extra for yes. all the visas and passports and documents. That <laughs> yes, you, yeah. Listen, um, I mean the go thing. I mean the go thing is interesting. I mean it's it's as it's headline grabbing. But what's interesting to me is that um, he clearly 
took the view that it was going to help him or that it was going to provide some kind of contrast um, that he could pitch uh, against some of the other candidates. It was a way that he saw giving himself an advantage. So, I mean, that, that's an interesting development. And I wonder, um, one thing that nobody's really talked about much yet, uh, but I think we will talk about is, you know, so many of the problems that we are, we've been discussing relate specifically to Theresa May's approach to immigration and her red line mm. on freedom of movement, which mm-hmm. I'm not so sure is such a burning issue for even some of the more Brexity Brexiteer candidates. I mean, sure, mm-hmm. some of them have take pretty uh, dim, take a pretty uh, strong anti-immigration line, um, and you could almost say a xenophobic line. But I honestly think that it was her personal obsession, in a way that. Maybe Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, others definitely. don't care that much. I mean, so that, this is where it's, it's the only like, thing. Sorry, go on. It's the only thing on Brexit she delivered on. Mm-hmm. So far, um, yeah. on of of all of all the promises she 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 made, um, ending freedom of movement <clears throat> is the only promise that she's actually going to deliver on, and that's why she put all the red lines in. I mean, uh, uh, single market membership, uh, red line freedom of movement. Uh, and even customs union, you could argue that, well, whether she didn't quite understand it or not. But, you know, all of those things were all centered around ending freedom of movement. And there was this obsession. But unfortunately, I think the Brexit debate has moved on so far now that taking the steps back and uh, bringing, bringing freedom of movement back in as a, as a good thing uh, for Brexiteers, I think uh, we've, we've moved past that, unfortunately. Oh, I don't, you know, that's, that's, I have, I have my doubts about that because the backstop is such a problem for the various people um, running to be prime minister, running to be running to be prime minister, running to be Tory party leader, and therefore prime minister. The backstop seems to be the issue that creates the the, the real heat uh, in this debate, and. They're all talking again, yet again about mounting their unicorns and going off to renegotiate the the, you know, the withdrawal agreement. Now we know that this is nonsense, and we know that they can't because, um, for all the reasons that we've uh, described many times, even even the extension uh, specifically says isn't, we're not going to renegotiate the withdrawal agreement. But what you can renegotiate is the political declaration, and the political declaration is all about where you end up on the so-called Barnier staircase in a future arrangement, in a future agreement. The withdrawal agreement is what it is. But the backstop bit of the withdrawal agreement, the way to neutralise that is to land somewhere on the Barnier staircase where it isn't an issue. And, And that means shifting the red line on freedom of movement. So whoever ends up being prime minister, if they seriously want to solve the backstop issue, and they are a bit more relaxed about the freedom of movement red line that Theresa May imposed and made it very personal. That, to me, is the obvious place where they're going to shift. If they can shift there and move to a softer sort of um, more um, uh, Ukraine-style association agreement or one of the other positions on that Barnier staircase, then potentially the backstop issue could simply vanish, could simply be resolved. I, 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 agree, I agree with that, but we have now moved to 20% of the electoral uh, electorate 
thinking that the only way to do free trade with free date, free trade deals with the rest of the world is by leaving on WTO um, yeah. uh, terms. And uh, 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 but yeah, well, but those ninety percent of those candidates who will be lining up uh, to become Tory leader uh, will run on the uh, we're going to renegotiate or um, or get WTO terms. And that's what they really mean. Uh, well, they're going but, to try to out-farage Farage. Yeah, but then there's, a, I mean, generally I agree with you, Chris, but I think there's the other factor, of course, that unfortunately on the opposite side of the House, we have Jeremy Corbyn, who also isn't exactly a champion of freedom of movement. Mm. So in combination, that situation also then remains, regardless of who the next Tory leader is, which is another hurdle. I think in terms of the general population, there are lots of statistics that show or suggest at least that there isn't that same level of uh, um, sort of red line as, uh, you know, the prime minister makes it out to be and other commentators make it out to be. But in political yeah. terms on both sides, it seems to be a problem. Well, you may be right. But I think the bottom line is that if, if we wanted that to move, we had to get rid of Theresa May. So it's, an, oh, it's yeah, a necessary no, I, I but not so. a yeah. sufficient yeah. condition. So, you know, yeah. in that sense... Yeah. That was something that had to shift, and you know, we we, yeah. we may yet find ourselves faced with something even worse. I mean, that's highly likely. Fintan <laughs> um, O'Toole, <laughs> one of my absolute favourite uh, Brexit commentators, yeah. uh, the Irish uh, journalist Fintan O'Toole, um, wrote an article last week, I think, where he said that um, we've just witnessed the two worst prime ministers in British history, uh, and yet we look likely to have a hat trick. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, um, I saw that, yeah, I think. I yeah. saw that, yeah. yeah. Well, you, we can only hope. I mean, that's the... And, and well, actually, that's not true. We can hope and we can try and do everything we can to change things, which yeah. we have done for uh, well over a thousand yeah. days, which the three million have done for that time. Yeah. So, you know, I to take up the point from earlier, yes, everyone's tired, but I think now is the Endspurt, as we say in German, yeah. uh, hopefully... But, yeah. Um, you know, the final sort of line, which is not true. It will Sprint go on for a long line. time. But mm. in terms of fighting, yeah. you know, we have to keep going now. We have to try our best and stand together, support each other to keep going. Yeah. The, the, the danger is the current withdrawal agreement is dead mm. uh, as it stands right now. So there's definitely no position there. So the renegotiation will be quite interesting. You're absolutely right. The political declaration can can solve hopefully some of the elements uh, but we also need to have a realization that um, despite the fact that no deal was off the table, it's back on the table. Mm. And uh, the deal as it stands right now um, will not go through Parliament. Uh, so the EU needs to look at alternatives for us as well, for us mm -hmm. EU citizens, and think, okay, if it really comes to the fact that we have a no dealer sitting in number 10, uh, what are we going to do to protect EU citizens? Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that that's really important to us. Um, it's 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 a big worry. We hoped we binned uh, when Parliament voted against No Deal, uh, but it's a big worry that suddenly it's lurking again. Yeah, I mean, No Deal. I mean, just to push back a little. I mean, No Deal has never been off the table because, as 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 um, uh, as we know, um, it's uh, going to happen by automatic operation of law. St. David, mm -hmm. uh, yes, of course, of, uh, of the Financial Times tells us, but um, but you're right. Um, putting a leader, putting a leader in 
becoming prime minister who is much more gung ho about the con- about the notion of going through with no deal. I mean, would would, would make it much more likely, but um, despite Parliament, well, look, we'll see. I mean, I prefer to end on uh, to, uh, on Tanya's <laughs> positive note, which is um, <laughs> you know the we we're in the final we're in the final uh, we're coming towards the final sprint now to for, to the finish and um it, it's really important that we maintain our, our our energy levels and um it's pretty understandable that they're flagging i mean everybody can acknowledge that that's the case i I'm, my energy levels are certainly flagging but um <laughs> but yeah we we need to we need to see this through right to the end it's really important um, so, you know, this is why I, I'm full of admiration for the activism that you two deliver day on, day in, day out. I mean, it's incredible and really important and inspirational to an awful lot of people who um, are, I think, really reliant on the kind of work that you do for their futures. I mean, it's, it's not insignificant work that you do. It really isn't. So thank you on behalf of all those other people, on behalf of my mum. Even if she doesn't know it. Oh. <laughs> I cry very quickly these days. Don't make me cry on the podcast. But, uh, yes. <laughs> you do actually, Tanya. You yeah, do. I know I you know. do. I know. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> we all do. But seriously, well, you know, uh, it's, um, yeah. it's very important. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, well, I won't, I won't belabor the point. But Okay, look, um, oh, any, any final thoughts before we sign off? We, we won't do a lie of the week this week. There are too many lies, so let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's just not do it. <laughs> I think I made my pitch for the fundraiser already, so yes. I'm not going to secretly repeating it by saying it again now. Uh, which fundraiser is that? Well, the EU, EU mm. Citizens Champion one. So the, know, the, one I spoke, the one I spoke about for earlier. Or you can sign up to the $3 million directly as well. It's fine too. So we, we definitely yes, won't again. mention the EU Citizens Champion again. I'm then. so glad. Oh, I will okay. never me- mention EU Citizens ever again. Or the $3 million. Yeah. Or, the three million. <laughs> or the $3 million. Or the $3 <laughs> yes no no uh, on a final note uh we are full of energy um so we're 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 really really keen uh to go into the summer and uh hopefully come out at the end of the, the long summer period and uh, see some changes so i'm i'm full of energy um i had my moments of flagging but uh the benefit of compared to tanya who who's all on her own most of the time and we are just there uh, on the other end of the phone uh, the benefit of being a, a big organization or biggish organization like the three million is when one person feels a bit down, somebody else picks it up. Sure. And that's, uh, that makes, I think, us such a great organization, the three million. Yeah. Well, look, on that, on that wonderful note, thank you again. And thanks for every, everybody for listening. And, uh, hopefully see you in the next few weeks. Um, uh, maybe even next week, who knows? But, um, lots of things to talk about. So I will get my mojo back. Uh, Steve might as well. You never know. And we'll be back sure so thank you very much good night